And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be, around this rotating globe which has changed. It has changed. We're going to be talking for the next three hours about how it has changed. Literally, in the last 24 hours, it has changed. Um, Before we get to all that, let me swing into some news. One of the reasons it has changed, if you go to the other side of midnight, Com. If you're new to the show, that's our URL. Go to the other side of midnight.com. Click on tonight's banner, which says disclosures here. But uh, why should we care? The big picture. And I want to thank my guest tonight, Tim Ventura, for kind of uh, suggesting that we do something on this scale. Because a lot of times when we're dealing with this alternate stuff, We get so down in the weeds, we get so nitty-gritty in terms of detail, we kind of forget, you know, to stand back, uh, you know, the current uh, cliché is the view from 30,000 feet. We kind of forget the big picture, and I want to talk a lot about what's going on, because there there are several revolutions going on simultaneously, and surprise, surprise, I believe, and I think I can document that, that they're all interconnected. There are no separate moving parts in this maelstrom that we're going through. They are connected. And we're going to have some wide-ranging discussion and even uh, outright speculation about how some of these connections are playing out and will play out. So let me start with number one. I don't know how many of you got up at the crack of dawn on the West Coast this morning, or at a more reasonable time on the East Coast, or wherever you are on the planet, it was uh, probably a weird time for you. But this morning, a revolution was launched successfully, brilliantly, in great dramatic uh, television media style. Remember Roddenberry's rule, if it's real, it will be on television. Well, it was on television. And one network, MSNBC, devoted hours and hours to continuous coverage with a whole range of interesting viewpoints. And frankly, it's so interesting to see there's a bunch of uh, space nerds over there because, starting with Ali Velchi's Crack of Dawn program here in the uh, Land of Enchantment, uh, the coverage all focused on Virgin Galactic's Richard Branson, taking a suborbital trip to space with three other colleagues from uh, Virgin Galactic. And the whole flight, including the liftoff from that two-mile-long runway south of me here uh, at America's Spaceport, as they're calling it, which is not far from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Talk about an interestingly named town. In fact, there's a there's a there's a story attached to that little place that someday we may actually go into. Anyway, the liftoff occurred, and about an hour later, they were safely back on the on the tarmac, having completed the first privately funded commercial flight with civi civilian passengers in the history of the space effort. Now. The networks and the major media are billing this as the battle of the billionaires. I mean, it's uh, kind of like it, it gets all very quickly. And the feud between, you know, Jeff Bezos, uh, <clears throat> who, of course, is running Blue Origins, which is a second 
commercial spaceflight company for tourists and civilians to go into space. Um, and in fact, the headline uh, reads something like, Virgin Galactic's Richard Branson takes suborbital space trip, stealing the spotlight from Jeff Bezos. It's a bunch of crap. This is really, and in fact, the, the headline in some of these network coverage was um, the, the, uh, the second space race. No, no, it's the second age of space. This is the beginning of what has been desperately needed to break loose all of the secrets that NASA and the Europeans and the Russians and the Chinese and the Japanese and the Indians and the Israelis and everybody who's sending government missions into space have been keeping a wrap on for over 50 years. What's really out there? The only way we're going to find out what's really out there is if you have a lot of civilian eyes and cameras and they cannot plug the dike because there are too many leaks, too many people seeing too many extraordinary things in space that the governments have agreed to keep secret because in the words of, what was that Israeli general, the uh, Mossad general who said basically the ETs don't think it's time yet? Well, of course not because they've been orchestrating the cover-up. I have been making quiet side bets before the Chinese sent their mission to Mars that weird things were going to happen. And the weird things would happen because the Chinese, unlike uh, they play act down here on Earth, when it comes to space stuff, like everybody else in the government game of space exploration and development, they're not the masters of their ship and the captains of their own souls. They are beholden to someone else, someone upstairs who is giving marching orders. And when the Chinese got to Mars with the uh, Zorong rover and the Tianwen um, uh, orbiter, uh, which means in Chinese, questions of heaven, um, lo and behold, like for a month, nothing happened. We got a couple of black and white images and then nothing and nothing and nothing. No video, no color, no play-by-play, no amazing images from the surface. Just kind of, well, we made it. And then NASA with their, you know, basically Hubble-type telescope in Mars orbit, the uh, MRO, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which instead of looking up into space is looking down at Mars, but can take extraordinary images that show detail on the order of inches. As soon as NASA took a picture of the Zerong rover on the surface of Mars, the Chinese rover, suddenly, within hours, the Chinese release a flurry of color images, including the weird, non-blue, butterscotch, icky skies, which conform, of course, to NASA's propaganda effort to make us think the skies of Mars are not blue. They are, in fact, this icky kind of greenish-yellow. In other words, the Chinese were following the orders that NASA is following, and they joined the NASA team, and they were good little boys and girls, and they quietly put out data which does not conflict with the NASA data. But they slipped up. 
And that's probably um, uh, a subject for a whole other show. When we get back to Mars in a week or two and things are developed a little bit more, but let's tell you where they slipped up. Remember we had the GoPro video of the uh, descent into the Martian atmosphere from Perseverance, which showed the parachutes popping and the skies, and the skies above the landing site were this wonderful deep, deep blue. Seven miles up, 35,000 feet plus, they were deep, deep blue, as they should be. Well, when the Chinese a few days ago released their parachute popping and entry into the Martian atmosphere, their skies were icky, butterscotch, greenish color, not blue. And it's because, obviously, the Chinese took their orders one step too far, and there was no physics involved. And, of course, there cannot be the amount of dust loading at that altitude, seven miles or more above the surface, because the entry of the Martian uh, atmosphere is the same regardless of the flag on the side of the spacecraft. So the skies of Mars in the Chinese video should have been the same deep blue as they were for NASA's entry, and they weren't because they got the order, make the damn skies butterscotch, and they followed it blindly and slavishly and made all the skies butterscotch, including way upstairs where the skies on the NASA data were, as they should be, beautiful, deep, deep blue. Anyway, uh, detail, detail, detail. So what happened this morning? Well, this morning, Richard Branson, as the first of a series of private commercial efforts to democratize space, to send eager, curious and camera snapping, you know, amateurs, civilians, ordinary citizens, ordinary folks galloping someday around the whole solar system, beginning with Earth orbit and then the moon. He sent his mission as an up and down repetition of Alan Shepard's suborbital flight decades and decades and decades ago. And uh, it all worked swimmingly, brilliantly, including some really amazing video. There is no competition among the billionaires. There is no, uh, you know, second space race. This is the second age of space. It's the beginning of the democratization. And it is only through such a democratization that I think we are going to ultimately find out what is really waiting for us in the rest of the solar system may take a while uh but then you have elon musk because elon musk of course is ahead of both these guys he's not just sending suborbital flights into you know the inner inner edges of space he's actually sending spacecraft into earth orbit he is docking with the space station and at the end of the summer he's going to be sending I think five or six civilians in the Dragon spacecraft into orbit to continue this democratization where it really counts, which is spinning around the Earth in Earth orbit as a prelude to going further, which in his horizon is the moon. And of course, there's amazing things there waiting for non-military, non-controlled, 
non-censored um, cameras, and we only have to wait two or three more years, and amazing additional things are going to unfold. Okay, that's item number one. Item number two kind of is connected, because in case you haven't noticed, the Earth is going to hell in a handbasket in terms of environment. Um, it was 116 in Seattle a few days ago. It was 100 here today. It was 100 here yesterday. It was even warmer down south at the spaceport where Branson launched and returned. Um, we are undergoing an extraordinary environmental revolution, and it's not good. And in terms of current plans, I think if I'm being very honest, and I try to be, it's too little and too late. There needs to be a stunning breakthrough, a disruptive technology introduced into the Earth environmental climate change equation. And as we're going to be discussing later in the morning, that breakthrough is literally in our midst. It's just not recognized as such by the mainstream, including, I believe, Bezos, Musk, and Branson. But it will be because it's already amongst us. It's already being pursued. And all it takes is the addition of money, and frankly, not that much money, to bring it, like these private now space efforts, to commercial fruition. The question is, will there be the will and the leadership, non-governmental, to make it happen? Part of the big picture we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, because I believe on that extraordinary um, set of developments rests the future well-being of the human race and the planet Earth itself. When you have an extraordinary problem like we are confronting, I mean, come on. 120 degrees in southern Canada? Are you nuts? I mean, Death Valley was 130 this afternoon. If this continues, we will not. So there needs to be a game changer. Fortunately, the game changer is in our midst. It's just not yet recognized as such, and these commercial space efforts will hasten the day when these two disruptive technologies come together. And then, as my grandmother used to say, it's Katie Barr, the door. Item number three. Um, we've been following, of course, this incredible tragedy of the um, collapse of half of that uh, condominium in uh, Surfside, uh, just north of Miami. Well, they're now up to, I believe it's almost 80 uh, folks who we know definitely now have lost their lives. There's 60 who are still missing. Uh, the trend curves are not good. The rescue effort turned into a recovery effort uh, last Wednesday. Um, but there is a, a spark of good news in item number three. Binks the cat, um, a black cat who they thought had been lost. He and his uh, family lived on the ninth floor of this uh, 12-floor condominium, Binks the cat was found wandering amid the ruins. After two weeks, he apparently had crawled out from under some piece of debris, some void, uh, as the rescuers were removing 
you know, pieces of concrete. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of concrete have been physically removed by hundreds of volunteers who have been laboring in the 100-degree, you know, Florida sun and the incredible 90-plus percent humidity to try to find anybody still alive. Well, Binks was alive and has been reunited with his family, and you take the wins wherever you can get them. Um, Item number four. We're going to be talking tonight again about this remarkable political development, which is that the defense intelligence agencies, including uh, the DNI himself, who coordinates these 17 American intelligence agencies that funnel intelligence to the president and to the executive branch, the, the DNI produced a report per order in the legislation uh, to the Senate after 180 days, which was signed by President then Trump, um, you know, last December. And that report, six pages, which is very, very skimpy and has been assessed all the way from it's a nothing burger on the one hand to it's revealing on the other. That report is available in item number four. So if you want to read <clears throat> the actual report, go to item number four. Click on that, and that will tell you uh, what the establishment is setting up in terms of potential hearings, which we've now heard multiple times are being envisioned, starting perhaps with the House Intelligence Committee and the Subcommittee on uh, uh, Counterintelligence, chaired by a representative from the state of Indiana, Mr. Cantor. We will see how that proceeds Um, And we're going to be talking about this report at some length during the rest of this morning because that is part of the big picture. How much is going to be revealed? How much is it irrelevant to the development of future events as to how much is going to be revealed? In other words, is the truth going to overwhelm agendas regardless of the intelligence community's predisposition to try to uh, work toward what we used to call back in the Nixon era a very limited hangout. Again, part of the big picture conversation we're going to have in the next uh, three hours. Item number five. While all this is going on, the Esteem Pew Research uh, Center has conducted a current poll of Americans. I'm trying to see here how many they poll. These polls typically are like a thousand or maybe 1,500 people that's supposed to represent diversity, geographical, economic, political, etc., etc., etc. What's so interesting, and this is the actual poll, not a summary, um, 65% of Americans say intelligent life exists outside the earth and do not see UFOs as a major security threat. Now, why is this interesting? Because it means that Brookings, remember that was that secret NASA study some, you know, 50 years plus ago, which was commissioned by the Eisenhower administration, then handed off to the Kennedy administration, who gave it to the 87th Congress, which published it in the congressional report, which is how we ultimately got to see it. Remember, Brookings basically said, I'm going to summarize, paraphrase, 
that if Americans were introduced to the idea of extraterrestrials without significant and extensive decades of pre-preparation, they would freak out, scientists would dismally go home and never go back to the lab because everything they thought they knew would be found to be either untrue or already discovered and they would lose morale. And I mean, it was a very dismal projection by Brookings 50 plus years ago. And the bottom line was, as they said in a headline story in the New York Times for December of 1961, civilization itself was in danger of collapse. And then Brookings made recommendations of a very vigorous, long-term educational effort to bring Americans, and by metonymy, civilians all over the world, up to speed on the non-threatening nature of finding out we are not alone. And they recommended all kinds of television shows, educational programs in schools, major movies, ads on television to sell commercial products. In other words, a broad front assault on the cultural backwardness of humankind on Earth circa the paranoid, you know, 1950s, think of the McCarthy hearings, um, to basically get people up to speed that aliens are out there, that they don't represent any kind of real threat, and that they should be embraced in terms of new knowledge and new activities, new science, new technologies, and new frontiers. Well, that decades-long, I mean, 50 years is five decades plus, of educational activities on the subject of aliens and ETs spread over modern mainstream media for all those 50-plus years seems to have uh, kind of made its mark because now... Over 65% of Americans say intelligent life does exist outside the Earth, and even more important, they don't see UFOs as a major threat to national security, which, of course, is the exact opposite of the DNI report to the Senate Intelligence Committee, which listed in the first paragraph the words threat three times. Well, what's wrong with this picture? Again, we're going to be discussing this at some length tonight in terms of the big picture. Um, item number six. So these are out of sync. Uh, item number six and seven I'm going to save for the body of the show. So without further ado, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to my guest. And I can't seem to get rid of this thing on the screen. I don't know why. Uh, darn, darn, darn. These things keep popping up, and and they don't let you get rid of them. Ah, why not? Why not? I don't want to do that. I want to get rid of that. Uh, oh, well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, my guest this morning uh, is Tim Ventura. Tim and I have known each other, good grief, how long have we known each other? It's been at least a couple of decades. He is the founder of American Anti-Gravity, the nation's largest forum dedicated to exploring the physics and innovations behind anti-gravity, warp drives, and emerging sciences in the breakthrough propulsion 
physics arena. Originally, American Anti-Gravity was founded in 2002 as a hands-on experimenter's website for this emerging propulsion technology. It has grown over time into a massive collection of research, interviews, and scientific knowledge relating to emerging space and energy science, and it serves as a community center for bleeding-edge research not covered by the traditional media. American Anti-Gravity's research has been featured on Discovery, BBC, Nippon Television, Jane's Defense Weekly, Wired Magazine, and dozens of other television, radio, and print channels and live conference events. Ventura works as a curator, collector, and subject matter expert in the field of breakthrough propulsion, helping to locate and interview innovators doing research in this area and help explore how their innovations may serve the future of space exploration. So without further ado, Tim Ventura, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Richard, thank you for having me back on. It's an honor to join you, and I think this certainly is kind of a momentous occasion to come on the show. So thank you for having me. It really is. Today was the dawning, as I've been writing for many, many years, of the second age of space. And the hallmark of that is civilian democratization as opposed to top-down control by a handful of guys behind the scenes in government. But before we get into the, the, the kind of the depths and the details and the nitty-gritty, let me go back to, to you. How did you get into all this? Because, frankly, uh, apart from my job, I think you have one of the most interesting jobs in this whole field. How did Tim get interested in anti-gravity at a time when most people, when you say the words, they look at you like you're from Mars yourself? Well, you know, I first got into this back in the early 90s. I think my very first exposure to it was, well, I mean, obviously, you know, reading a lot of science fiction as a child, right? And then pulp fiction and comics and things like that. So I, I, I should thank my father, Phil Ventura, for, you know, for that exposure. But um, I, I would say my, my first serious exposure to it was something called Hover Tech with Bill Butler. And he actually was working on trying to build the Back to the Future hoverboard. He, he sold plans in the back of popular science. And so so I, I would say that that's kind of where I got bit by the bug. You know, that's that that's where the, the journey down the rabbit hole began. Um, but then I, I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't credit Coast to Coast AM also. Right. I mean, y- you and I have known each other for many years, but then for at least a decade before that, I was a regular Coast listener. And so I would listen to you and Art and. And so I would think I, I would say that inspired that that vision even more, you know. Hmm. You know, it's it, it's so interesting. Art is no longer with us, but his presence is overwhelmingly felt. I was talking to someone um, um, uh, last day or so, and they make it a policy to kind of scan the dial and listen to what's going on. And on on premiere, they run. I guess somewhere in time, which is the repeats of some of the old Art Bell shows. And last night, oddly enough, even though I couldn't be on the show because of technical problems here, I was over on coast because Art apparently spent with a couple of guests and callers talking about me for half an hour. And I wasn't even on the show. So, 
you know, what you do, be careful what you do because it will live long after you've left wherever, you you know, you were domiciled at the time. Um, I think they were finding fault with my contention that the uh, Apollo 11 landing was done according to uh, ritual calendrical uh, time references in terms of landing on the moon. But as Barnum used to say, it's not so much what they say about you, it's do they spell your name right? And they well, spell my name right. You you and Art, and, and again, I, I know it sounds like a brown nosing to say this, but I'm, I'm being completely honest. At the dawn of the internet, right? And, and I, I would tell you say what, hold it there because we're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Tim Ventura, who is founder of something that's going to become, I think, increasingly important in the future called American Anti-Gravity. Anti-Gravity, which is going to be a mainstream subject because of this Pentagon report, the DNI, the Senate hearings, what's going on in Washington regarding UFOs slash UAPs. All of this, I believe, will ultimately come down to how do we control gravity itself? Because based on that control, the real democratization of space is going to unfold. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Don't touch that dial, because you're going to miss the revolution. funny because I think you know I went through my crazy phase where I made mistakes before the internet and before social media and before any of this whereas now you can't do that there's no such thing so look, you're saying about black and white and what it does is it stops people expressing themselves people are too frightened it's like you know I want to say something but if, what if I use the wrong term but I remember a story a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch who at the time was a darling in the media's eyes was complaining about the disparity between the treatment of um, black actors and of white actors. And, and he was sticking up and saying, you know, they're not getting paid as well. They're not getting the jobs that they should be getting. And they're being, there is no equality. But what he said was there isn't equality for colored actors. Well, you've said colored there, Benedict. You can't do that. And so they went for him and he was vilified and he had to come out and do a big apology. Now, what it was, it was, it was a slip of the tongue. He's obviously not racist. He's actively trying to say that there is discrimination and he's trying to stick up for that community. But he was vilified and attacked. And that's what happens now. And so 
when people make their mistakes now, they make their mistakes on the internet. They make their mistakes on social media where they're screenshotted forever. And so I think that's all part of the conditioning that people are frightened. You know, if you're in a position where I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, in the end, you'll go, well, I won't say anything then. The fallout of this is going to be extraordinary with that because people don't realize, you know, when you, 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 you're phoning up the police and grassing on your neighbors and when all this ends, they're still going to be your neighbors and you're still going to have to live next door to them. And good luck with that. Hello, everyone. My name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Aneta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. Welcome back, everyone, for this Sunday night, July 11th, 7-11. I mean, Branson chose 7-11 to launch to the edge of space. In fact, there's this very bizarre kind of controversy, which, again, I think is kind of manufactured by uh, the media, not so much real. And so we'll get back to it with my guest, Tim Ventura. Tim, we were talking about uh, Art Bell. Art had a profound effect, I think, on what is about to happen now. And I think in terms of service to Brookings, if there was a single individual who did more to educate the general population that the things that go bump in the night, in fact, are not scary, but potentially incredibly important and useful for civilization, it was Art Bell. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you guys really changed the world in, in a way, you know, in a big way. Um, yeah, I mean, coast to coast AM, you know, I, I think they said it owned the night. I think that was Art's thing. He owned the night, right? This was in the 90s. This was before the Internet. And when the Internet happened, I remember the it was one of the first major websites online. And this was at a time when people were interested in ghosts and UFOs and things like that. They weren't able to find any real information online about it. They wanted news, and Coast was putting up that news. And I remember you guys would do shows, and you know Art would talk about the counter, you know the the, the website counter. It would be just like a million, a million, a million, you know, <laughs> I mean hundreds of millions of viewers. And it's not that there were so many people on the internet; it's that there were no websites, and Coast was one of the only websites. And so. You had this national radio show that was on every AM, you know, every AM band, you know, all night, and and then it was driving one of the few big websites. So you guys had, I mean, it's it's no surprise that you know, Coast I think helped to change the culture, and I think it it added a lot of transparency to these things during that period of time, you know. So Coast fueled your interest in anti gravity. In what way and where did it lead? Well, I, I would say, I, you know, I wouldn't say it was specific like that. But, and, you know, the reason I'm kind of pontificating on Coast is I was thinking about, you know, one, one of the big ones was this was back. Uh, I remember 
this was one of the ones that I, I recall was you did an episode back in the mid 90s when uh, there was a probe that was coming into Mars that, that crashed into Mars, I guess. And, you know, and, and you would predict it that this thing wouldn't touch down. And there was this play by play. And then the probe went silent. And you and Art did a big show about that and discussed all these various possibilities, you know. And the thing that got me was at that point in time, I remember you could turn on the radio at night and you wouldn't be sure that you would go to bed in the same world, you know. And and it was it was that powerful uh, at the time. And, and that it didn't last forever, but I don't think it was supposed to. You know, we, we have those we have those periods in time where you're just at the right time in the right place to change everything. And and so I would say that Coast for for me was I think for a lot of people was an inspiration to realize that the world is not as simple as we've been told or we'd like to believe. Um you know, but I, I think that it was also it, it opened up a lot of doors, right? Um, I mean, the average person had never heard of things like remote viewing. You know, your work. I mean, it, it just it you had so much additional exposure, and people started to question things. And I think that that questioning has continued since then. Okay, anti gravity. So, when did you decide to set up this website? Because frankly, it's a resource. And I'm so glad it's still in existence because you, I don't know how you single-handedly did it, but you amassed such an archive of unknown and little read and hard to discover or track down real science, real engineering, real hands-on experiments in a field which has almost had as much bad press as UFOs themselves. Yeah. Well, and in reality, when you get into your gravity modification, breakthrough propulsion, right, warp drives, stuff like that, it's really all the same community. You know, um, this is a tiny little community. I mean, you've probably got about 100 people who are really serious. You know, they all know each other. And then you may have a couple hundred more who are working on various projects. I mean, we're talking globally, right? It's a big planet with a lot of people. So you're... I mean, if you wanted to break this community down, you're probably talking about less than a thousand people and probably only about a hundred of them are serious. So, you know, and in the past, uh, when I first got interested in it, it was one of those things where you'd go to the library, you'd buy books online, you'd buy books out of the back of magazines, right? It was, um, you know, every now and then you'd go to a conference and maybe someone would be speaking on it there, but it wouldn't be a conference about it. So, you you collect these bits and pieces, and and the people in this community are definitely hoarders, right? They they've all got it's funny because they've all got file folders, you know, and they're all full of news clippings and books and stuff like that. And and this this micro community is the same. I mean, I'm I'm sure you have this in lots of other places, right? Like um, people who are into remote viewing, they've got their community. People who are into you know Gary Geller spoon bending, they've got theirs, but with with the gravity community they that's you know that's it and so i guess one of my goals was to put up a repository for them i was building lifters which which have some gravity modification and some ion wind there's a there's a complex effect okay you need to describe for folks that have no idea what you just said what the heck's a lifter well so it's it's a triangular shape it's made out of aluminum foil you put a high voltage on it, it takes off and flies with no moving parts. Um, 
the the nice thing about it is it takes off and flies. So for the first time, we were able to put video up online. You know, and I didn't invent these things. It goes back to Thomas Townsend Brown, the 1950s, and and some of the ideas behind it go back further than that. And again, even back then, there was this debate. They said this is ion wind. This is the high voltage traveling between the wire and the foil, which takes air with it and causes thrust. And that's definitely a part of it, but that wasn't all of it. And so I started building these along with several hundred other people, you know, online, and it was something to build back in 2000, Wasn't there a famous French guy who really did a lot of experiments on this? Yeah, Jean-Louis Naudin. Naudin, yeah, okay. Yeah, and his website was still up. And, and for him, he was into it briefly on his website. He put up probably the top 10 variations on the design. Um, his lifter, when he got into it, was based on an experiment that was done in NASA. NASA had a subcontractor in Huntsville build one of these. Um, and they based theirs on T.T. Brown. So again, this, this goes back, you know, I mean... It, it goes back and forth, right? It's just wheels within wheels. But the the long and the short of it was because these things take off and fly, um, people got engaged. We were able to put the video up, and and next thing you know, because I was I had the repository for it online. I had lots of photos and videos and later interviews. I ended up doing a lot of media work for it. So that's that's kind of the you know the short version of American anti gravity, I guess. Hmm. Um, let's bring the conversation current because to me, and I've gotten tons of email from all kinds of different people with all kinds of different political stripes and the, and the majority of them, when they're, when they're talking about the DNI report and the Senate intelligence committee and the machinations in Washington and the CIA involvement and hearings and all that, they're basically saying, Oh, it's all going to be a con. It's going to be a psyops. Nothing will come out of it. It's all just going to be a few words, and then it will all just go away. And I don't think they understand, at least they don't understand it the way I think I do, which is it's almost irrelevant what is said in these hearings. The fact that the hearings are being held, and they're being held based on a technology which is being given to us by the most credible American institution still left standing, which is the U.S. military and the Navy. You know, my dad was Navy, so I'm partial to the Navy uh, to boot. The fact that that source, which is unimpeachable, is saying there is some kind of anti-gravity vehicles zipping around the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean, buzzing our uh, carrier fleets and demonstrating performances that make even the most advanced military aircraft look like, you know, little, you know, rusted wagons by comparison. For instance, diving from 80,000 feet as tracked by the Aegis radar systems, which is our most advanced uh, radar in the in the in the fleet from eighty thousand feet down to the deck just above the ocean surface in a second i mean the g forces alone let alone the propulsion capabilities and the fact that the pilots when they look at these things 
There's no wings. There's no engines. There's no protuberances. They're just like smooth ovoids compared to uh, Tic Tacs, white little Tic Tacs. The fact that we're looking at something which is technological, which is absolutely running rings around anything that any government has lofted into any skies on Earth, right there you have the beginnings of a revolution because there's only one possible means for this technology to perform, and that is that somebody, somewhere, we can talk about the who and where and when and all that, has cracked the secret of anti-gravity, which means it's possible. If someone else has done it, then anybody can do it, and the hearings will make very clear with witnesses, I presume Navy pilots, I presume analysts in the CICs of the Nimitz or the Teddy Roosevelt, whatever, that track these things, that will put on the record that anti-gravity is real and then, as I said, quoting my grandmother again, Katie barred the door. Because the biggest impediment to doing anything in science or engineering is understanding that it can be done. Well, if, if, go if, ahead. I, if I could, but yeah, if I could interrupt you for a second, and I, I would back up there. And again, go, thinking, thinking back to those, you know, those heydays in the mid 90s, you know, what, did you ever imagine at that time that you would be doing a show where the, the U.S. government, the U.S. military has said, not sort of said, but said UFOs are real because that's I mean, that's that's our starting point. UFOs are real. Now, for me, I mean, I, I perhaps I'm naive, but, you know, I, I realize <laughs> six, 60, 60 something percent of the American public is willing to believe that. But willing to believe is different. Well, than no, no, knowing, no, no, no. They're they're willing to right? believe in more. They believe extraterrestrials are real. They have connected in their mind UFOs and ETs, where the yeah. where the nitpickers are trying to separate. Oh, it's it's a technology, but UF ETs are never mentioned in this DNI report. They're looking at potential terrestrial adversaries like China, like Russia, like Iran, and it's silly. It's stupid. It's absurd. Well, yeah, and and that that goes to and the, again, this is this is an area that. For the last few months, I've been intensely focused on this, you know, I, I mean, for obvious reasons. But um, the it, one of the things with all the people in my network, there was a lot of disappointment, right? They're saying, well, nobody said that extraterrestrials are real, you know. Well, they, they didn't have to, right? This no, is of course Holmes not. Device. That's See, it's people lot, don't a, understand yeah. politically that in Washington, they never tell you the truth. They all must carry around little copies of Emily Dickinson. They tell the truth sometimes and tell it slant. The very fact that the subject has been legitimized is going to open such a cascade of evidence and stories and data and files and case studies and all of this stuff that's been waiting like pent-up consumer demand. The legitimization is the major huge win here it does yeah. not matter yeah. what they say initially. Doesn't matter. And 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 it's a, and I would say that the the logic takes you to, you know the and and again this is this is the other part of it. And this is what I was hoping for with this report. When that report came out, again it was a nine page report, and honestly only five of those pages had any substance to it. It didn't have details. It just had summaries. 
but when I read through that after it, and the first thing I heard, cause other people downloaded it before me and they were like, Oh, this report sucks. I'm so depressed. You know, I read through it and I said, you know what, this, <laughs> on this June 25th, I was like this June 25th preliminary UAP task force report contains exactly what I needed. It's, right? a, it, it's like Christmas arrived early. Yeah. Because what it says is UFOs are real and the performance can't be matched by anything here on Earth. That's all they needed to say. Yeah, that's all. That, you know? And so, then the, the you know, Fibber McGee's closet, using an ancient reference, opens, and all of the amazingly cool stuff, some of which Keith and Kintia and, and their guests got into last night, absolutely, inevitably falls out of that closet. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that's the beginning of, I mean, I know it's the beginning of something much larger and now we have to we have to start to explore what that means and i think that's going to be more difficult than we've imagined now you had talked about decades of of kind of indoctrination campaigns to get people used yeah, to the idea yeah now but but the downside to that is it's also created <clears throat> a mythology which may or may not be right right like with roswell that may or may not be true and the the grays and the reptilians and all of this stuff that goes along with it. So so I think one of the challenges is going to be, and, and I think this will be difficult for the American public, is they have this mythology that they accept. When they think UFO, they're thinking, you know, they, they, there's a lot that goes along with that. There's a lot of baggage. A lot of that baggage probably isn't true. But we don't know what is and isn't true yet. So I think that's going to be one of the next challenges. I totally agree. Talk about the difference between belief and experience. Well, I mentioned before the air, I mentioned Charlie Sheen, and I got a snicker from you about that. But <laughs> it was – see, I got another – yeah. And I'm sure everyone in the audience remembers when he went on air, he was acting crazy. He was – he was. It, we now know he was drinking himself into a stupor, all of those things. Um, he admitted this, I believe it was last year in an interview – the reason that he went completely crazy was he was diagnosed with HIV. Oh. He didn't know what – And so he yeah, thought he and, had a death sentence. Exactly. And so now intellectually, he knows, okay, there's lots of treatments. There's lots – he's like intellectually – Oh, we're light years ahead in HIV from the 80s. Right? No, or or an, another example that probably everyone can relate to is you know, anyone who's parent – that moment where your significant other shows you the pregnancy test, or at least for men, or with women, when you hold that pregnancy test up and it's positive, you know, and you realize I'm a parent, I'm going to be a parent, right? It, intellectually, there's a difference between like knowing or believing, you know, and and that gut level, this is real, this is happening. You know what I mean? And And I think on that gut level, I think America and probably the world is still on the cusp of acceptance, you know, and, and there, there are lots of little things that I think are going to change. Right. And like one example is um, SETI, which, which I, you know, I support SETI. I think that they have a really valid mission. Yeah, um, uh, we're in acronym hell here. What's SETI? Yeah. And so SETI did a big, you know, no, no, no. What, what is SETI? Oh, sorry, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. By radio. Where, yeah, and they're leasing time on these big satellite dishes, and they're searching, you know, spectral, brand, spectral bands around the universe looking for signals. You know, I, I think right now, um, 
they, they've released a statement about UAPs too, and they've kind of tried to differentiate it and say, okay, well, we're looking for intelligence out there, but <laughs> I have a feeling that once people accept this phenomena as real on a gut level, they're going to look at SETI and say, hey, point the dishes down because <laughs> they're already here, you know? And and it's it's not to be critical of SETI. I, what I was mean, that great line with a little blonde in Poltergeist? They're here. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of things are going to change, and I think that it's going to be a process of emotional acceptance. And I know that sounds it probably sounds wishy washy to say it like that, but um, the reason I say it is that's something I've had to kind of go through myself. Um, there are a lot of things that I'm willing to accept in this world, but. I explored UFOs years ago, and I walked away from it and said, you know what? I see a lot of cultural baggage. I see a lot of mythology. I see a lot of crap. But what I don't see is real evidence. And I, over the last year, I've had to come to terms with that. And for me, I, you know, what I, this report for me was the thing where I held out hope. And I said, well, said I'm, I'm going to withhold judgment. You know, personally, until I see this report, and let's let's just see if I'm crazy, and I'll be damned if it didn't come out and say UFOs are real. You know, now they 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 use tons of softeners. You know, UFOs probably might be real. They probably might be more advanced vehicles than us. But once you once you read through all of the softeners that they use, what what they're saying is this is a real phenomena. It's technological in nature. These are vehicles, right? This isn't a figment of imagination. This isn't sensor spoofing. They said these are real physical objects. We've got them on multiple sensors, and they're doing things that our vehicles can't match. And you know, and then they put out the obligatory: it, it could be Russia or China. Well, <laughs> yeah, and, and this is something um, I, you know I've discussed. I, I mean, uh, my my good friend Frank Milburn has done a lot of research. He he, um, he wrote a report called the Pentagon's UAP Task Force, and he did a lot of basically a military analysis level on this. And what he walked away saying was, look, the, the Chinese are using 1980s era jet engines in their fifth generation fighter craft. They can't get them to work. They can't buy updated engines from Russia. They're having trouble getting basic stuff to work. You know, and the Russians have this ailing. I mean, they've got an ailing air force that's, that's falling apart at the seams. They're having trouble maintaining their equipment. They spend, I think, 10 times less on their military than we do. So if it wasn't invented here, it damn well wasn't invented there. And that to me, that says, well, OK, you know, unless you've got a rabbit in your pocket, <laughs> you know, it's it's from someplace else. And I so. That leaves extraterrestrials or time travel. I think those are our two hypotheses. Mm. Yeah, as I said, uh, you, you, extraterrestrials or variants thereof. We've got some reports published in your section of Radio with Pictures. And again, you go to tonight's banner, which says right on the home page, um, disclosure is here. Why should we care? The big picture. Uh, right under that, you'll see uh, fast links to items Click on Tim's, and that will take you down to his section. You've got one section titled Alt Propulsion. Then you've got two and three, which deal with the UAP, which is the current uh, Pentagon speak, you know, uh, kind of, you know, double speak for UFOs. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Come on, UFOs, folks. Um, 
there are some very interesting quotes in those. So do you want to kind of give us some some of this flavor as to how this is being responded to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I gave these actually at the Alt Propulsion Conference, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about that later. But I put these reports together so that I could kind of run through some of the bullet points. And I, I think one of the issues is, um, you know, it's, it's like drinking from the fire hose. I, I mean, so – <laughs> Excuse me. The first one was uh, – I'll, I'll just run through kind of notes on it. So again, this was a nine-page report with only about five pages of real content. It was summaries and conclusions, not details, and they used a lot of qualifiers and softeners, which isn't surprising, right? This is the CYA stuff. They're trying to cover <laughs> their butts, so to speak. Yep. You know? that, and so instead of saying you know, it's a UFO, they're saying it's a possible you – know, it's possible this, possible that. You have to kind of read through that and, and look at it like any corporate or government type report. You know? um, that being said, I mean you know, also the, it was limited in scope. And and you could you could make numerous cases for this. Maybe it's because of a cover up. Maybe it's just because they only had six months to put it together. And they had my understanding was that the CIA and the Air Force didn't want to give them the info that they needed to finish it. So um, they only covered incidents between 2004 and this year. Um, they they did mention and this was interesting. The majority of incidents happened in the last two years, which they attributed to better reporting. So in terms of reports, the last two years are the busiest. And what that means is this this UFO activity, right, this military UFO activity is on an upswing, right? Um, so this is current, very contemporary. They had 144 reports from government sources. 80 of those involved observation with multiple sensors. And they described that, right? So multiple sensors could be – I mean you're, you're talking about you could have a visual – you know, sighting along with radar sighting, along with infrared, you know, it could be, I mean, they, they had four or five different types of sensor systems they mentioned. And on some of these, they captured on, on several at once. Um, so again, they, they had qualifiers in here, but they, they said that UAPs, these UFOs are physical objects. Most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors, including radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observation. So again, lots of qualifiers, lots of softers in there, but they're saying, look, these are real, these are real physical things. Um, you know, they also said there were probably multiple types of UAPs, um, and that's because there were lots of different photos. They identified one of those photos as a helium balloon. You know, surprising. Uh, I'll but... tell you what, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Tim Ventura, founder of American Anti-Gravity. I think one of the first breakthroughs to come out of these hearings is the absolute multi-sensor verification by, again, the most trusted institution right now in American society, the military, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, the men and women serving in the armed forces, in this case, the Navy. The first thing which is going to fall out of these hearings is going to be the reality of a technology which can control gravity. And as you're going to hear, in terms of big picture in the rest of our conversation this morning, if you can control gravity, you control 
everything, and I mean everything, including the energies to save the Earth. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.